this week on the Divided Opinion Podcast. Last week we were discussing Everton's running, their fixtures, where they might get their points from, and it looked bleak. But then Manchester United came along. I think it's proven that sometimes as a manager, whether whether you're trying to assert your authority or not, you have just sometimes got to bite the bullet and think about what's best for the team. And Obviously Modric, Magic and the customary Benzema header slash goal to crush Chelsea. Maybe go through a little bit of a transition period because they've been almost had the golden ticket over the last 10 years with these players just in their squad because they've always been happy to stay there. Oh, bit of breaking news on the pod. Oh, yeah. Sean right. Dyche has been sacked as Burnley manager. No way. He has. Hello and welcome back to season three, episode four of the Divided Opinion podcast. My name is Joel and Westy joins me. How are we, Westy? All good? Yeah, good, mate. Good, mate. Brilliant. Good to hear. Good to hear. Yeah, so this is the show. If this is your first time listening, this is a show where we discuss debate, analyse, offer as much insight as we can on certain, I was going to say issues, but it's probably a bit too serious. We'll say stories within the world of football, going into detail on the, the biggest games within the world of football, and it's from two football fans with divided opinions. So yeah, if you if you enjoy the show and you're a regular listener and you're not following, feel free to give us a follow, it helps us out no end. And also you can click the notification bell on so you're notified whenever a new episode is out. Right, today we're going to be talking about the Premier League, all the action from the weekend. We're going to go through that and digest that. And then we're going to go on to the Champions League, obviously the quarterfinals. Uh, we have our four semi-finalists. We've got Real Madrid, Villarreal, Manchester City and Liverpool in our semi-finals. So we're going to d- discuss that, talk about our thoughts from the quarterfinals and also offer our predictions for the semi-finals and then Westy's going to take us through a few transfer rumours and we're going to offer our, our was it two pence is that what they call ten it pence. Two cent, ten pence yeah. we're going to offer our ten pence on those on those transfer rumours let you know whether we think they're going to happen and yeah hopefully it'll be a good episode right Westy I think we should start with the Premier League action from the weekend and we'll we'll brush over it because I know it's, it's probably not a topic you want to discuss too much Last week we were discussing Everton's running, their fixtures, where they might get their points from, and it looked bleak. But then Manchester United came along, and I think Everton, I think they've won two games in their previous eight heading into the tie, and Manchester United lose one nil away to Everton. Yeah. Can you just offer your offer your thoughts? How are you feeling? Is it is it kind of a point now where it's it's a write off really the season? Um, yeah. I'd say it's been a write-off for for a few weeks now. Well, a few months probably. In terms of the game, obviously you always hope that the the jokes, the old jokes aside, that United were going to come through with that with with the win. But I think after it happened, it it wasn't really a surprising result. I think for no. for any fan of any club in the league, I think if if you're looking at, I think if we, I think we said on the podcast last week, if you're looking at 
the remaining 10 or so fixtures for Everton if there was going to be one game that they were going to pick up three points and it was going to be on <laughs> against United mm. uh, I think it just yeah it was it was a clash of two teams that were well, probably two of the worst teams in the league to be honest and yeah well we called it the gross mismanagement derby yeah and and you came out on top you came out not on top and, uh, and Everton took the bragging rights in that one yeah so you are the the, the grossest managed club mm. in the country congratulations yeah thank you uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, well I think it was I think the, the most frustrating thing was I think if you watch the game Everton Everton weren't really that good anyway. I mean, obviously the no. goal came from a deflection, a generous one. Um, but other than that, yeah, they showed they just won by showing a bit more fight than United and putting and running a bit more and putting a bit more effort. And obviously, that sums up everything's wrong with Man United at the moment. It's, at least when they're not playing well, it's not even like they're putting in the effort. It just defies belief with United though, because these are players that are playing for their lives. They're playing for their career. They've hit the jackpot with Manchester United. Whether you, whatever everyone calls them, social media, FC, whatever. These players, regardless if they play well or not, they've hit the jackpot. They've got all the followers on Instagram. They're going to get everything that that comes with. You'd think they'd be playing out of their skin just to keep themselves in this squad. Because there's so many players there that you think, how are you there? How have you managed to get in that position? In, in that, yeah, in the position yeah. that so many people want to be in. And it's just you've got a new manager coming in, all the, the rumours around that. I think I expected there to be somewhat of a, a bounce from that, maybe. Um, but nothing of the sorts. I think Everton, I agree. I don't think Everton played particularly well. They showed some fight. I think Lampard's kind of just learning now that how to play how to set his team out in a relegation battle really because when he first arrived it didn't seem like he was doing that and he was quite we've naive was the word we used last week and I think it was was true in the way he was setting his team up um but yeah I mean there's really it, it gets a bit you just get I just get deja vu to be honest when we're talking about United I think if we went pa- back like past our last 10 episodes each one has been another layer to this the debacle at United so we'll move on. I'll, I'll put you out of your misery. And we will talk about my team, obviously Leicester City. We could talk, talk about them in a European sense or in a domestic sense, but we'll, talk, we'll, st- we'll stick with domestic to start off with. Obviously beating Crystal Palace at the weekend. I was there. It was a brilliant game. And I'm not going to go into the game, but I just want to say, just one word, Kiernan Jewsbury Hall. <laughs> what a player, by the way. What a player. And I'm going to start the... Uh, I've started the Will Alves agenda. The Kin and Jewsbury Hall agenda is just it's just way, well underway. And this kid, honestly, I'm telling anyone now that's listening to the podcast that hasn't watched him, this guy, we need to take note of him. He is going to be... He's going to be an England player. He's going to be a future Leicester captain. I'm calling it now. The guy's got everything. As you can tell, everyone, Joel doesn't like getting ahead of himself. <laughs> But honestly, bro, like you're the worst for it. When it comes to just clinging on to a little bit of optimism, you're the worst for it. And if you had a player like Ian and Dewsbury Hall, you would not stop talking about him. You don't stop talking about Garnacho. The guy's never made a first team appearance. No, he's <laughs> he's six years younger than Kiernan. Well, well, but actually, me and Westy, um, if you listen, if you're listening, Kiernan, we'd love you on the show. We played against Kiernan when we were younger. He's a he's a local lad around here. So I I seen as well the radio Leicester did an interview with his mum, 
and it's just a bit of a dream story really uh the guy is just living the dream and yeah and this is what we're saying about united is like there's players in that united team that have grown through the ranks at united like, and they're just not giving their all and, and that's the least you ask for but yeah kieran drewsbury hall mate remember the name remember the name we'll move on to arsenal losing against brighton uh, it's not looking great for Arsenal at all. They had to field, field a, an unfamiliar team. Xhaka at left back. I think Lakonga was the kind of only recognised defensive midfielder uh, that kind of anchoring the midfield two of of uh, Smith Rowe and Odegaard. We st- I think we're still waiting to hear back about what um, about Partey and a, an update on his fitness. If it's taking uh, this long, then it's, is there anything? It's gonna. It... Mm, Ambiguous was the way that Arteta described it. Um, is there anything more you wanted to discuss about Arsenal that we didn't last week? One thing I, I, I have thought about, and obviously he's gone to Roma, and I mean it's, it's he's not he's not flopped or anything, but it's not going as well as it could have done. But where could Arsenal? How how much could Arsenal do with someone like Ainsley Maitland-Niles now? Obviously, yeah, Cedric is a, sort of a constant at the right at right back when Maitland-Niles left. Uh, Tommy Asu was still fit. So they thought they didn't need him, and obviously mm-hmm. left back as well. We've got Tierney out, and they got rid of Kalasinac in January as well. But I just think if someone of and some, Thomas Party. I mean, Maitland Niles is a player that can play all across the midfield and defence. So I've seen a lot of um, Arsenal fans kind of going in on Lacazette as well. Um, I think he they were really rest- frustrated with his performance at the weekend, and they just they couldn't penetrate Brighton. No. And when when they were, I just don't understand what what Arteta was thinking. You've got Tavares, and I know he's not been brilliant, but if you're against Brighton, I know they're a very good team, Brighton. Don't, I'm not taking anything away from them, but you just think, just play if you recognise left-back. Then Xhaka can go into the midfield. I mean, there was just gaps emerging in that Arsenal defence. And it, we spoke about it last week, but it does look like it's going to prove really costly, these injuries. And I can completely agree and echo what you were saying, because some of the, the transfer dealings have just been... Just almost, too, just premature and just, uh, it's like Arteta's really tried to make a point with some of the the departures and the people yeah. that have left. And I think he's tried too hard to assert his dominance and authority. Maybe, yeah. maybe there's times where Maitland Niles, a bit like Aubameyang, maybe he's he's had a little fallout of Arteta, and I think it's proven that sometimes as a manager, whether whether you're trying to assert your authority or not, you have just sometimes got to bite the bullet and think about what's best for the team and. And keep mm. a player, keep a player there, whether you get on or not. I mean, at the end of the day, it's all you all got a job to do. And I think, yeah, like yeah. you say, some of the transfers and dealings he's done are very premature. I do think though, some of these things should be remembered when putting into context Arsenal's season and whether they do finish fifth or whether they do get top four. I think that should be taken into account, and I do think. The Arteta, I, 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 I agree that I think some of his dealings might, might have been, yeah, a bit, just a bit strange and a bit kind of um, ill-advised almost. But maybe in the long run, this is what he needed to do. And you, I mean, you can't argue with the the upturn in Arsenal's fortune, and they, they're a different team, and they they look uh, the best team that they've looked probably since our uh, Arsene Wenger left. So we'll see, um, but. Yeah, I think next season when we'll really be judging this Arsenal team. Yeah. 
would go on to their North London rivals, Tottenham Hotspur. And it ke- it seems to be uh, an opposite end of the spectrum here because now all of a sudden Spurs are the front runners. They're in the ascendancy and they're probably favourites now to get top four. The the strike partnership or the, the trifecta of Kulisevsky, Son and Kane working their magic again. Son getting a hat-trick. Kane, I think, turning provider. No goals this weekend, but I think Kulisevsky got a goal as well. They, they All of a sudden, Spurs, they really are a force to be reckoned with now, aren't they? Yeah, they are. and Definitely improving. Obviously, Conte, it was it was bound to be an improvement. I mean, he go, anywhere he could go, he could go into any club in world football and get them playing out their skin and improve players. But yeah, obviously, I think they are in the ascendancy. I'd be a bit surprised now if they didn't go on and get top four, but... I think you've almost got to take a bit of a back foot approach with Tottenham. I mean, we were all talking a couple of months ago about obviously they went on a few, won a few games, beat City away, didn't they? That really memorable performance. And then they went on two or three game losing streak at Burnley and stuff. So I think one thing we've learned with Tottenham is not get too far ahead of ourselves because it can all come crashing down pretty quickly. Yeah, I know, but I think the I just do think the kind of all the foundations are there with Spurs, and that kind of period was it was it was a win and then a loss that period, wasn't it? It was literally they'd win a game and then well they'd win a game they probably didn't expect to win, and then they'd lose a game, and now they seem to have found a bit of consistency in their results. I think that's obviously been helped by like the acquisition of of Ben Tancur. obviously Kulisevsky. We've spoke about him on the podcast, absolutely brilliant. 21 years of age he's going to be there for years to come and yeah I, I just don't know I, I mean I'm gonna to have to put my hands up really because I thought when Spur when Conte came in I thought that that's crop of players at Spurs were kind of just you couldn't get anything out of them I didn't think any manager could come in there and change things and change yeah change it around at Spurs but he has Conte's come in and maybe I underestimated him as a manager yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting summer. Obviously, Conte, I think he has committed his future, but you just never know with with Conte, do you? You just no. And some from from one week to the next, one week he's talking in the press conference as if, if everything's going right, and then the next week he's talking as if there's there's nothing he can do at Spurs. So we'll see. And obviously, I think he'll have a huge impact on the future of Harry Kane as well. And it'll be really interesting to see what what the situation with Harry Kane is now at Spurs. Is he now all in at Spurs? Can he afford to even try and get himself out the door? I'm not sure. The age isn't on Harry Kane's side, is it? Not um, at all, but no. we'll, we'll talk about that at a later date when we've got a bit more information. I think now, then lastly, um, unless there's anything else you can think of in the Premier League, but I think we'll talk about Burnley now. Um, obviously, Man City, losing to Man Norwich. City, Liverpool. Oh yeah, we'll come to that. We'll come. <laughs> yeah. Quite a big game, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, we'll cut, uh, yeah, but so Burnley, it looks like it might be their year to go down. Uh, I think Sean Dyche, first and foremost, just deserves to be applauded and deserves unlimited praise for the job he has done at Burnley. And I think everyone involved at Burnley, I think it's just to be able to continue their kind of Premier League status for this long. It's just, yeah, I think it's one of the most underrated achievements, to be honest. I mean, they're constantly, year in, year out, they're the team with the lowest budget, the lowest amount of resources, and also they don't really have a pull, have they? People, players, they, they, you, they. It's hard work to get players to go to Burnley, um, and I think, yeah, I just think it's it's so impressive, and it, it will be a real shame to see him go down. I think. Yeah, 
Definitely. I mean, he's done a fantastic job. There's been times where he could definitely have left Burnley when they needed him most. Uh, I think there's been a few times where Everton have been managerless and even the last time in January that there could have been a shout for Sean Dyche going there. But I still wouldn't count them out. I wouldn't. No. Because I still think, yes, Everton won last week, but albeit against a very poor United side. But if you just still look at Everton's running, it's so tough. And then obviously in the next four games, it's Liverpool, Leicester twice, Chelsea. Leicester in great form. They're flying now and got a lot of confidence behind them. Liverpool, you'd expect Liverpool to pick up three points. Chelsea, so if you look at that and say they pick up maybe one one or three points out of the next possible 12 and Burnley pick up a win or two, it can change very quickly and Everton could quickly find themselves back within a, a point or so difference. Well, it's interesting. We looked at the Burnley fixtures, or the Everton fixtures last week, sorry. We'll have a look at Burnley now. So next week, or this weekend, they've got West Ham away, which is a tough game. Then they've got Southampton at home. So you, you, I wouldn't say you'd expect them to get something, but you could definitely see a result there for Burnley. Then they've got Wolves at home. Wolves are kind of inconsistent at the moment. You don't really know what you're going to get with Wolves, so you never know there. Watford away, another team fighting for their life. And I think Burnley, you'd you'd favour Burnley in that game, but obviously they did lose against Norwich. I think that was the surprising thing. They beat Everton, and then they go and lose to Norwich. But I think it's just the Premier League, isn't it? Yeah. And then they've got Burnley, they've got Aston Villa at home, and they've got Tottenham away, Aston Villa away, and then they've got Newcastle at home last game of the season so every game really you could see Burnley grinding out points yeah the Norwich one was a weird one yeah I, yeah. I fully expect them to go and pick up a, a few points but a few points three is the max they could have obviously <laughs> <laughs> um, but no I don't I think Norwich could prove to be a team for any any team that they play in the last last sort of stretch of the season I think they could be a bit of a banana skin because obviously United have them tomorrow uh, I think that'd be the ultimate. Just, just wipe your hands of United if they drop points at home to Norwich. But I think in Norwich's fair, in in Norwich's case, they're, I mean, they they've been condemned to relegation for I'd probably say two or three months now. It's been pretty obvious, and they're definitely going down now, no doubt about it. So I think there could be a case of Norwich playing with a lot more freedom. They know they're going yeah. down, so they're going out and expressing themselves, and therefore they're actually playing a lot better and if you think maybe if they played this style of football a bit more expansive from the beginning of the season where could where could Norwich be mm. now yeah and it's a mentality thing isn't it and it's obviously there's just something wrong there at Norwich there's something I think it's just like a inferiority com- complex that they don't feel like a Premier League club they're kind of Premier League standing their Premier League pedigree just been brought into question year in year out and every time they come back up and they haven't felt like a... Until Dean Smith took over, they've never felt like a Premier League club to me. And I just... I think it's a sign that the system's going wrong if a team just keeps going down, up, down, up, down, up. I just It doesn't feel right to me. No. Um, but, yeah, Burnley, I think... Yeah, I, I agree. Don't count Burnley out. Looking at their fixtures, to be honest, I didn't know how favourable their fixtures were. So, yeah, it's probably it's all to play for still. And all of a sudden, Everton lose at the weekend, Burnley get a win, and all of a sudden it's one point again and, and Lampard is, is looking in, in real danger. Mm. Yeah, let's talk about Liverpool versus Manchester City. I can't believe I forgot to note that one down. <laughs> I mean, what a game. I think 
people are calling it the the highest quality of football that the Premier League's ever seen. I think there's definitely an argument to be had, to be honest, in terms of a game, two teams against each other. But if I'm honest with you, I think all the quality came from Manchester City side of the weekend. I don't think Liverpool really did themselves justice. And I think it's been like this for a few games now. I don't think they've been playing that well, Liverpool. I don't know what you took from the game. No, no, I I agree. I think obviously back to both, both, both amazing teams. But I think if you look at it, sort of really City could have been three or four up at half time I mean they missed mm. a, a hatful of chances um, obviously got the two goals in the first half for them Jesus and De Bruyne but De Bruyne had a couple more chances Jesus did Sterling and yeah Sterling I mean, could have had that goal as well it was like a yeah. minuscule amount yeah. offside literally and um, yeah that was ridiculous I mean there's got to be some sort mm. of leeway there but um, yeah, I think Liverpool, it's disappointing for them. I've heard Klopp saying ahead of the game at the weekend in the Cup that they've got to give so much more and that City were superior to them in the game on Sunday, which I think he'd be correct in saying. But I think if you've watched Liverpool against City in games over the past three to four years where where Liverpool have blown them out of the water on, on a few occasions just in the first 20, 30 minutes alone, I don't know why Liverpool couldn't have produced that sort of performance at the weekend because they've got it in there and if and if they turn it on Liverpool they can they can pull anyone to to pieces and including Manchester City. Mm, Liverpool I don't know if they're experiencing a little bit of like a I don't want to say a hangover maybe a bit of a just a bit some of the players just look a little bit tired. Salah looks like he really needs a break. Um I think well he still he he played the ball obviously for for Mane's goal which was a was a great pass but he just doesn't seem to have that edge that he had before I think a little bit of time off would probably bring that back and he's not quite yeah that cutting edge that pace to get in behind he just doesn't seem to have it at the minute but I'm just trying to think back to the game and really what I took from it in a tactical sense but it just was all City and Pep kind of. We've seen it, we'll talk about obviously City in the Champions League, but we saw it against Atletico where Pep is so much more comfortable with his players having possession of the ball high up the pitch. That's where, the way he feels comfortable. And that was, to be honest, that was what was so impressive from both teams and especially City was just how high they were defending and the risks that they were taking. And there's a reason why so many teams play with such deep back lines and deep low blocks and defences sitting really deep. It's because it's the easiest way to play football. It's the easiest way to grind out results. So when you see a team that are playing, it's kind of that risk-reward thing. The risk is high for the way Pep and City play, but the rewards are huge. And you saw an example of that against Liverpool. I know they didn't get the win. Pep will be frustrated with that. But Liverpool's kind of uh, positive spells were kind of short. They were small kind of spells of the game where they'd have a bit more possession and, and just catch City on the break. And maybe it is just another sign of how good Liverpool are at what they do. They're yeah. obviously not as easy on the eye as Pep as Pep's team. Um, and I think they'd admit that. It's a lot more kind of productive the way they play. And I think we saw that because they had far less chances. But obviously they leveled the score and that's all that matters. Where does it leave us now with this title race? Has it changed your opinions on who you, you think might go on and win the title? It has for me, to be honest. Yeah, I think yeah, it has, actually. I think we both said Liverpool last week. Yeah. Because I was confident that they'd go to the Etihad and get something 
in terms of three points, not just one. I just had a feeling, a little hunch about it, but I think this game's changed everything. I think I've saw a lot of people, a lot of City fans going away from the game disappointed they didn't win, and I think um, just naturally you would be considering the chances they had. But I think if you actually just look at the fixtures, I, I, I don't think I can't see. I think them being a point ahead now has pretty much won them the league that draw because I cannot see a game in which City drop any points for the the remaining seven games. Mm, the draw definitely favoured City. Yeah, and they would definitely be. Although they'll be the team that's probably the most annoyed, they'd also be the team most happy with the result. Yeah, because yeah, Liverpool really needed that win, didn't they? Mm. And I, I think the reason I thought Liverpool would win is just some of those Champions Leagues nights we've seen where Liverpool have just took the game to Manchester City and mm. completely disrupted them. But that was it. Was City doing that in this in this case? And. Yeah, um, it was impressive from City. Ho- it was. Hopefully, we can end all hope on Tuesday night. <laughs> well, so you've you've got them, have you, on Tuesday at Anfield? Yeah, yeah. Could be a, could be a bit <laughs> of a bloodbath. <laughs> yeah, Jesus. But then so you just hope that you don't lose any more pride. Yeah. Well, have you got any left? To be honest, can't actually? can't get worse than the five 0 at home. No, no. I don't know. We've this thing we United. We've seen it can get worse. But then again, <laughs> just it, when you think but then again, it, it probably wouldn't also surprise you if they went and won one 0 You know, that is just Manchester United all over. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, we'll move on now to the Champions League. We'll start with Real Madrid versus Chelsea. Crazy game. Um, I mean, crazy in the sense of normal football. But when with the Champions League, this is what we've come to expect and. You just be watching it unfold, and you're just almost expecting it to happen, aren't you? With the Champions League, it's just the best competition on on the planet. Obviously, Modric magic and the customary Benzema header slash goal to crush Chelsea. Goals from Mount Rudiger and Werner put Thomas Tuchel's side on the verge of a miraculous comeback. But Real Madrid really grew into the game after that Rodrigo goal and it really was just a one moment of magic from from Modric after Real Madrid had been overran really all over the pitch obviously Chelsea 3-0 up and then Rodrigo scoring I can't remember the exact time but it was late in the game and then it, it really the tie really seemed to just the tide turned then didn't it yeah yeah to be, to be honest even at 2-0 Chelsea obviously it it sort of swayed it a bit in their favour at 3 0 for me, but I was still always pretty confident that Madrid were going to get the job done. I just had it, it's just there's a feeling about them at, at the Bernabeu. I don't know about you, where it never feels like the game's over for Real Madrid, and there's always a goal in there, whether it's going to be late on or they level it up and take it to extra time. But it's just, yeah, it's just a special place to to play football. Obviously, it must be anyway. I'm not saying I've played mm. there, but um, <laughs> would love to. Um, but no, I, I always had a feeling. Would love to. Uh, you just saying that as if any, hopefully if someone works at Real Madrid's listening. Yeah, you know. Um, <laughs> anyway, but um, yeah, I was I was always even at three 0 I thought Real Madrid are going to go through here, and I think it was a, a, amazing from what Tuchel did. I mean, that game management, the way he literally he could not have played himself a better game. He sent them out and did everything that he could do on the sidelines, and then a couple of individual mistakes proved costly for his team but you can't really fault Tuchel can you? No I think with Real Madrid I think we are seeing these performances we have seen them this season they they seem to be like a I mean obviously you can't call them a one leg team in this aspect because they did it in the first leg and then 
did it in the end of the second leg. But there are spells where they really do look like a poor team, Real Madrid. Like, yeah. Carlo Ancelotti sets his team up very pragmatic. Obviously, Chelsea, they won the midfield battle. They won pretty much every battle. And I really liked their attacking free, to be honest. And I think Mount and, and Havertz kind of offered that creativity. They dropped in. They recycled the ball really well. And then also Werner's been really impressive, I think. And I do like what Werner offers because he does offer the ball in behind, but he does also have that kind of playmaking ability. He obviously got that goal as well, Werner, which was, was quite a nice moment, to be fair, until obviously Rodrigo kind of stamped out any chances or the yeah Chelsea hopes. Do you think Chelsea maybe ran out of steam a little bit? Because I felt the intensity did just drop quite suddenly with Chelsea. I don't know whether it was that mentality thing. And I do remember it stuck in my head last week when you said, you said, Real Madrid, they very rarely don't score. Along those lines, you said, Real Madrid very rarely don't score at the, the Bernabeu. And it's true. Yeah. You just kind of sensed it coming, didn't you? Yeah. And Benzema, there was no way he was going to leave that tie without putting his stamp on it. No. Um, yeah, I think it did look like as soon as that goal went in the the Rodrigo one, it did look as if they did tire a was bit. And the, I think the the substitution the belief that went maybe yeah, possibly maybe not believe because I think if you go to the Bernabeu and score three goals, I think they were still going into extra time. They would have been confident that they could carry on and do the job. But I think the substitutions really changed the game for Madrid. I think Ancelotti made them at the perfect time because he could see the game just getting away from them. And I think if he'd kept it the same any longer then Chelsea could have probably got another one or two I think Camavinia mm. put on a bit of energy a bit of legs and I think that was a difference you you looked in extra time and I think Chelsea bought on Jorginho in the midfield and whether he's fresh or not he's not the most mobile of players at the best of times <laughs> you almost want to start with Jorginho and then bring the energy of a Kovacic on don't you yeah and I think I think yeah Camavinia and obviously Modric that his age still doesn't stop running Valverde mm unbelievable he just he's he's like a just a never-ending engine is he he's just carries yeah. on going I think in the end and he's playing out of position as well wasn't it yeah I think in the end like you said I think Chelsea looked like they were overrunning Madrid for the best part of 70-80 minutes which that was the case but I think maybe they ran themselves into the ground a little bit Madrid made substitutions and I think in extra time it was a case of Real Madrid just sort of ran all over them really and, and Chelsea didn't mm. really look like scoring in extra time did they it does seem to be a key aspect of the pitch, to be fair, that, that centre midfield and that maybe it was Carlo, Anche Carlo Ancelotti. <laughs> Carlo, maybe Carlo Ancelotti did just get it right and, and Tuchel didn't on this occasion. Because yeah. when you look at it with, with Jorginho and you delve a little bit deeper, him against the, the Cruz Modric, you'd probably fancy him because it's not quite got, they've not quite got that intensity, intensity that they did have maybe or someone like a Camavinga does. And yeah. I fancy Jorginho against a team like that, or yeah. players like that. I mean, and then obviously he he was kind of the wrong way round when Camavinga came on. You'd want the the Kovacic or the Kante on. I can't remember who who came off for 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 Jorginho. Was it Kovacic? Um, Loftus Cheek, I think. Oh, was it? Yeah. Oh, was it? Yeah, yeah. Because Loftus Cheek was playing in that right side role, wasn't it? Yeah. Kind of like a right sided centre midfielder. And obviously, I think they did a good job in quelling the threat of, of Vinicius and Benzema. They were pretty much yeah. absent, weren't they, for most of the game. It was a, quite a good battle between Reese James and Vinicius. Yeah. But you just know they're going to step up. I mean, that ball as well, I think that was a that ball was underrated. The ball for, for Benzema's header. Yeah. 
Vinicius, Vinicius just knows just, when his partner's going to be there. And he just lofts it. And I think he took it, if you look at Rudiger in front of him, obviously a bit of fortune, good fortune of him slipping just in the right time. But yeah. Vinicius probably looked up and saw him sort of moving away, his body position, maybe thought that could, it's all about anticipation. But going back to the the, the, the result in, and how the game went, I think the knockout stages this season, what it's shown is that it, it's quite. It's actually easier to probably be the team hunting rather than the team being hunted because if you look at PSG, they had a two two goal three goal cushion in the second mm. half, and Real Madrid obviously you've sort of got nothing to lose, have you? So when you're going for that, and then obviously Real Madrid this time it was them in the ascendancy going into the second leg, and Chelsea have to go out there and hunt them down. And once a te- once mm. you're once you're you've got that ascendancy, but you take a knock and, and you concede a goal. Nerves set in, and the other team picks up mm. in momentum so much. And I think it's, a, I think Liverpool as well. Obviously, they got through fairly comfortably against Benfica, but Benfica yeah, we'll come to them. Benfica came and scored three goals at Anfield. Mm. I think Madrid just show as well that performance can only get you so far in the Champions League. And sometimes when you've just got that authority, that confidence, and the minute they were able to to yeah just make their their their, their presence known, score that goal, it really just did change the tie and it we've spoke about it a lot before but it really is a it's a competition in its own uh, on its own really the Champions League and what it takes to win it is so different to any other competition and it is just that on those big nights on the big occasions mad things just happen these professionals that are elite players that in any other environment would never put a foot wrong all of a sudden start to make mistakes and that's why yeah. we love it. And that is why we get the best games out of it. We'll move on now to Bayern versus Villarreal. Obviously, Villarreal stunning Bayern, who crash out of the quarterfinals for the second consecutive season. Another Unai Emery masterclass in Europe. What is his secret, Westy? Um, well, it's a good question a to ask question. someone who doesn't know him personally. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's just... Villarreal, you watch them and they're they're not a team that get you off your feet or anything. They they're not no. they're not exciting to watch. They're they're very pragmatic and but they they all know their jobs and Unai Emery mm. sends them all out and they're they're united. They they all they're all playing off the same hinge sheet and I don't know. It just mm. seems to be they're just they're such a difficult team to play against. And yeah. I think Bayern Munich underestimated that. I think the first leg. Villarreal did play a little bit more expansive than they do usually. Obviously, got the goal, had a goal disallowed, missed a few chances. But I think Bayern Munich just it was just complacency. I think they went into that second leg thinking that basically it's all right if we lose one or two away from home. We're at home we're at the Allianz, we're, we're guaranteed three or four goals, and you, you're not against a team like Villarreal. Mm, I was going to ask you to be fair, really, what was going on with Bayern because I have heard. I don't watch much of them. I see them in the Champions League and normally they look so dominant in the Champions League so you wouldn't really know there was anything wrong going on per se. But obviously, yeah, inconsistent in the league, I've heard. Yeah. Albeit on course for another title, but that seems to just be kind of a given with Bayern. Do you think there might be an issue with Nagelsmann? Do you think it maybe is the crop of players maybe don't have the the kind of the resilience they did kind of in comparison to some of the Bayern teams that have gone by yeah is there anything you can put a finger on that might be going wrong there uh, I, I think as a club they've had they've they've got a big sort of future coming up well big summer I think they've got a lot of big decisions to be made 
Um, I think if you look at Bayern traditionally over the past five to six years, they've always had a an excellent core of 13 or 14 starting players. And then after that, there's been nothing much. But obviously, you look at situations with Muller, Neuer and Lewandowski all coming to the end of their contracts. And I think they've got a big decision to make whether how they look at their future and do they offer these players uh, new deals or do they mm. start from scratch and go for a more youthful approach and reinvest and maybe go for a little bit of a transition period because they've been almost had the golden ticket over the last 10 years with these players just in their squad because they've always been happy to stay there. But I think yeah. uh, Karl Heinz, Rummenigge, he's, he's left as the CEO. Oliver Kahn's just come in as the sporting director. And mm. I think not many. I think a lot of people in Germany aren't quite sure how how what what sort of capabilities he has in that role Oliver Kahn mm. they have obviously there is an element of luck isn't there when you do get these players like the Lewandowski's and the Mullers I mean you can do so much scouting you well you can only do so much scouting because these players you don't never you never know if these players are going to get to that level the, yeah. these these level that the Lewandowski's and Mullers have got to you just there's no way you can guarantee that and I think you see that with a lot of their their recruitment some of the newer players that have come in maybe have not achieved quite as much as they'd have liked. It's hard to judge, obviously, because a lot of them still do all right in Bund in the Bundesliga, as you'd expect. But I'm talking the likes of the Sarnes, maybe the Gnabrys. I, I mean, you probably know better than me, but it just feels like the players, the, cur the, the current crop, maybe aren't going to reach that the heights that yeah, their their predecessors had. Mm. Obviously, they've still got the likes of Kimmich and etc. But I mean, are they unsettled at the back? Who are their Who are their kind of um, starting well, centre backs? They've now? got Upa Meccano, um, yeah. Lucas Hernandez. Yeah, plays left back and centre back. I mean, um, Sula's on his way out to Dortmund. Um, so you'd expect. So them. you like that? They lack that figure, don't they? Really, that yeah. Kind of, that one, one. experienced head at the mm. back, and they've like yeah, a, like you say, Boateng or someone. Yeah, like Jerome Boateng, like um, yeah, they they do miss someone like him, and mm. I'm not sure who who they'll move into. I think Upa Meccano's there. He's going to be a play for the future. He's obviously a really good yeah. player already, but maybe they're going to look at someone like Nico Schlotterbeck. Although yeah. I think maybe Dortmund might seem a, a more ideal destination for him at the moment. So no, it's going you to want be... to tell the listeners a bit more about Schlotterbeck if they don't know? Well, he's a he's a young young Germany centre back, twenty two years old for Freiburg. From what I've seen of him, he's just a very sort of modernised defender. Plays on the front foot, very aggressive in a tackle. Fantastic in the air. Has chipped him with quite a few goals this season, and he's really good at sort of progressing from the back, playing the ball out. He's a left footed centre half, so. For a team, yeah. even for a team like the team I support, Man United, who may be looking for a left-sided centre-half, it, it, it'd be someone I'd be really interested in. But no, he's certainly yeah. one to look out for. You should have Oliver Kahn's job, mate. Yeah, <laughs> another job. We'll go back to <laughs> we'll go back to Unai Emery. Um, I wanted to just get your thoughts on whether Arsenal made a mistake letting him go, or is this kind of an, another example of how circumstantial football is and it sometimes works somewhere and it doesn't work at another place, or it works, yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it, hindsight's a fantastic thing and there's, and there's so many examples of this in football where people say, oh, what, what, could they have kept them or should he have stayed there? But 
at the end of the day, a lot of it is to do with the right right place, right time. And I think that's what Unai Emery's found. I think he's gone somewhere where Villarreal, it's a, it's not a club with massive expectations. It's a small city in Spain. And obviously it's different to being manager of Arsenal and living in London, having the expectations. I think last, last week you called Villarreal like a village. <laughs> and then I looked and it's a bit it's, bigger than a village. It's a bit bigger than a village. It's a town. It's a town. <laughs> It's a town. Uh, even so, uh, you said that's me. you like, it's like, you should see. It's like a stadium on the side of a village. <laughs> <laughs> the people of Villarreal are fuming, mate. They'd probably prefer it though. To be honest, what being called a village? Yeah, a bit more. Fair uh, enough. That floats your boat. Um, but yeah. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, sorry to send you off track. Yeah, but. They've, they've done brilliantly, Villarreal, and it'd be interesting to see how they do in the semi-finals. I mean, I was saying to you the other day that I, I'm not someone that likes upsets in the Champions League. I like to see the big teams going through. So I'm you wouldn't really like, like to see Villarreal that. knock out Liverpool? No, to be honest, no, I wouldn't. No, I want to see a bit. I, if it I gets, want to sit down and watch a Champions League final for the ages. If it gets, not a, no, but if it gets down to the point where it's Villarreal do knock out Liverpool, I mean... The teams that have knocked out, it's surely it's sort of not really an upset. I mean, they've they're thoroughly deserved of it. I think the only two te- the only team that has beat it, Villarreal this season, Champions League, are Man United. But yeah, but it's a discussion for another day. Say it was, well, that's an upset in itself. But <laughs> you definitely say it was an upset if Villarreal beat Liverpool in the semi final. Of course, 100%. it's an upset. But I but I don't have this. I'm not kind of swayed by tribalism, mate. I'm a I'm a fan of the game. I'm a fan of football. And I want to see, I mean, if I'm honest, I'd probably want to see the Liverpool-Man City Champions League final. I know it's boring with the with the two English teams, but yeah. they just seem like the best two best teams in the world at the moment. And I'd like to see them both playing off for it. And I know it's a nightmare for you. No, I'm really... I'm, I'm really catch-22 situation. I'm really rooting for an all-Spanish affair in the final. Real Madrid-Villarreal. Fair play. You're telling me, though, you wouldn't have liked to have seen the Liverpool-Bayern semi-final over the Villarreal-Liverpool. Oh, no, cool. I know. I, I wanted Bayern to go through tonight because I wanted as much as much opportunity of Liverpool to get knocked out as possible. But, you know, it is what it is. And now we're going to have to get the, the Villarreal shirts on order before the semi-final. <laughs> <laughs> All aboard the yellow submarine. Exactly. Right, we'll move on now to the Atletico game. Less of a... Uh, well, I don't know. It was eventful from a... From a kind of conduct, call it conduct, petulance standpoint. Yeah, conduct standpoint. Yeah, but nil nil on the night. Manchester yeah. City winning one nil on aggregate to progress to the semi final. City, you think, showed a p- maturity in their performance, possibly up until like the last maybe twenty minutes or so, and looked relatively unthreatened. Yeah, I've got written down here until the final twenty minutes or so. And I think Atletico, to be fair on them, we said last week that they'd have to come out of their shell. And I think we always thought it would be in measure. But I don't think we we ever thought they'd come out and start playing like Liverpool or Man City and pushing up the pitch. But they definitely showed a little bit more uh, positivity in their play. And yeah, pushing up the pitch. I think with Atletico, the reason it's just so frustrating with them is that final 20 minutes, we finally saw the team that a lot of onlookers expect to see and would would like to see with Atletico. And a lot of people think they can play that way with the players that they've got. Yeah. Obviously, then, obviously, they were masters of their own demise. Petulance, ill-discipline. 
Yeah. Does this stem from? Does it stem from? Well, first of all, how out of order was was Savage and Felipe? I mean, I don't know what happened there. They're in the ascendancy. They were the better team. They were having chances. Yeah. And then, yeah. And I think they sort of killed the game. They killed the tie for them for their own team. Really, them two. I yeah. don't know what they were thinking. It's just it's sort of it just beggars belief, doesn't it? I mean, there was mm. no possible reason for. I mean, and it all stemmed in the first place from Felipe kicking out of Foden. It, yeah. I think all the Atletico players sort of reacted as if Foden had taken a dive and was rolling around. And when we actually look back at it, he was he was caught pretty heavily on the follow through. Um, mm. But yeah, Savage. I mean, I've no idea. He just completely lost the plot, didn't he? I don't know. I thought, yeah, I thought it was really but strange, especially with his links to Manchester City as well. And I don't know if something went wrong there. I think he's definitely burnt that bridge now. He won't be able to come back to to Manchester City for. a I don't know, a charity game or something in the future. I don't think they'd but want was, to. But he was just, <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, he doesn't see, He doesn't seem like a charitable guy. No. But, um, yeah, it was just strange. I think, it, I think it all stems from the... And what was quite disappointing, I thought, was that the Atletico Madrid crowd, they're always fantastic, aren't they? I mean, the support that they were giving the team, even with minutes to go when they were, like, they were going out. I think I saw it against United. Not a fan left that stadium, did they? No. Not f- one fan left. And, they were and, there right. And they the deserve left. better than seeing that. Maybe there's a few, there's a section in the crowd that probably encourage it and I think there's a section of every crowd that encourage it and like it because yeah. it's... And Simeone, I mean, I think it's, it, a lot of it stems from, from him and his character. I think God knows what he tells him in the dressing room. I mean, if you're losing with so-and-so long to go... and. I mean, he look like he, he generally looks like he sits there and enjoys it, doesn't he? He does. No, and yeah, that's the thing. You feel like that he that those players would have been applauded for it. Yeah. And I got the feeling from the Atletico fans as well that the players would be applauded for that as well. And I thought, if I was there, if I'm there in the stands, I can't stand it. Me when when you see one of your players like you're there trying to push for a goal, you see one of your players just do a petulant foul or yeah. something. If I'd seen that going on, I'd be there. What is going on here? It was crazy though. And I was as a neutral. I saw um, I saw a stat that said Stefan Savage didn't actually commit a single foul over the two legs versus Manchester City. <laughs> got a yellow in both. <laughs> Incredible. How did he not even get sent off? I no. just don't understand that. Brilliant. The referees though, the sum of the standard of the refereeing in these games, like the, yeah. the Champions League, all the European games, some of them are really shocking, like really poor. I mean, I've seen some awful ones in the Conference League. I mean, we can actually just talk about the Conference League briefly in the midst of this Champions League chat. Obviously, Leicester City last night, getting through to the semi-final, the yeah. first semi-final, the first European semi-final in the club's history. Just an incredible night, to be honest. I mean, I wish I was there in Eindhoven. What a night that must have been for the fans there. Obviously, 1-0 down. Yuri Tielemans showing his unfamiliarity in the in the sixth role. I don't, did you see the pass from yeah, Tielemans? Yeah, I did, yeah. Yeah. I think it just showed his... He's just too comfortable on the ball sometimes, Tielemans. And Maybe. You, he showed that he doesn't have that discipline of a, of a number six, really. Maybe he's on the beach somewhere. Already. on the peach yeah nah what are you on about sipping cocktails did you see the you clearly haven't seen the videos after the game of him celebrating with the fans but joke. James Madison as well honestly I mean I don't want to turn this into a Leicester City fan channel or whatever but James Madison when you see a player that just loves your club there's no better feeling man there's no better feeling that when you, the guy I've never seen a, like a player more passionate than Madison 
Like his interviews as well, he's top class, and I know everyone says it. And to be honest, Declan Rice as well, I've seen him, and he's another one that's brilliant in interviews. And obviously West Ham progressing as well, we can talk about that. I think great result for all British clubs really last night. Yeah. Rangers obviously getting through to the semi-final as well. So I think we've got in the semi-finals of the Europa League, it's Frank versus West Ham. And then Rangers... Against Leipzig. Leipzig. Rangers versus Leipzig. Just... Honestly, European football this season has just been top draw. It yeah. really has. I think it's it sort of bought the Europa League and the conference. I think the Conference League alone has sort of pushed the Europa League to a high level as whilst yeah. it's pushed it whilst it's made a good name for itself because people are realising that everyone used to look at the Champions League and the Europa League and think, Oh, the Europa League's rubbish, push that down to the side. But because there's another competition in there, people are yeah. using the conference league as an incentive to get to the Europa League. Mm. And and the, the organisers for the Conference League must be buzzing. Cause yeah, this cause has been an could have gone really ad- bad advert yeah. for it. Yeah, and you could have had it was touch and go. You could have had teams that went in there and didn't care. And I think it had that feeling at the start it's when you had Tottenham, Spurs. Yeah. It, it it felt like Spurs didn't want to be part of it. But now they just like honestly that four teams as well. You got Feyenoord, um, Marseille, Leicester, and Roma. I mean, they're four brilliant teams to have in the semi-finals. I I cannot wait to welcome Roma to the King Power Stadium. It's just going to be incredible that. And I didn't really fully. Oh, of course, I fully. I didn't get to fully experience like the Champions League, um, the journey. I don't feel like I was really part of it because I didn't get to go to many of the games. But now I feel like I've been been able to really be part of a European journey, and it's just been so enjoyable. And I couldn't recommend the Conference League more. Well, I really couldn't. And I think it's, yeah, I just think it's been a brilliant advert for it. And well, it's been such a good idea. You've given me, you've given me you great go, optimism yeah. ahead of next year. I mean, yeah, yeah. if we're lucky, we might get into the Conference League. <laughs> That's what you've got to look forward to, mate. That's what you've got to look forward to. Yeah. But I don't know what happens if we win the Conference League, West Ham win the Europa League. What happens there with the, the European spots? Does that open a few more for clubs lower down? Because that could be your way into mm. the Europa, uh, into the Conference League. Just thinking. I don't want to wait, to be honest. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I think I'd rather finish ninth. But do you not think with Ten Hag coming in, United, you, any kind of chance to play football you need, to, so he can get no. fully like try different players, I think a game out, a, different combinations. I think a game a week. I think I'd take a game a week at this point. Right. Think, Would you not think for development you'd want some more games to see different players? Um, yeah, I mean, possibly. Possibly. Yeah, and that's what, just, and uh, I think this, that's what these competitions are good for. It's just not a it's not a good representation of Manchester United, is it? If they no, were to be right, playing anyway, in the conference league. I can tell you don't really want to talk about that topic anymore. Um, prediction, Europa League, who's going to win it? Um, West Ham. West Ham? Yeah. Right. Um, They've got the momentum. I can see Rangers beating Leipzig, me. Oh, well, I, I really think, can. I think Leipzig are going to be West Ham's biggest threat, to be honest. I think Rangers might beat them. Mm. You never know. Be a good tie, you that never will know. be. They battered Dortmund. Battered them. Yeah. yeah it will be a good tie. I, I, yeah, but who battered Dortmund? I found, I, uh, Rangers, Rangers, but Leipzig battered them 4 0 last weekend as well. So right, so both, it should be an evenly it's yeah, ba- well matched. It's, it's the uh, it's the clash of both of Dortmund's I don't know, what, enemies, and nemesis, parents. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll go back to Atletico. Um, do you think 
it all stems from Simeone, all this kind of petulance and the ill discipline. Um, yeah, I, I, where else is it going to come from? I mean, you've seen these players in different teams who've played for Atletico, and they're not. Uh, I mean, it's just. I think it's just. Uh, in a way, it's good. I mean, there's the levels to it, and I think the passion and the desire and the their willingness to run for a brick wall for their manager, it all stems from the manager himself. And he has to be applauded because he is a world-class manager and he's done so much for the game. But he does just let himself down on some occasions. And I think yeah. he gets his players too too emotional, too fired up in certain occasions where his, the team actually might benefit more from having a bit more of a sort of cool approach, a bit more of a, mm. a laid-back approach to proceedings and... I think that's what we saw. I think they could have probably got a goal if it wasn't for all that happened at the end on mm. Wednesday night. Yeah. Injuries probably tarnished an otherwise pleasing night for Pep, Carl Walker and Kevin De Bruyne going off injured. And it looks like both of them are going to have spells on the sidelines. I don't, and I don't know the exact dates, but I think they're going to prove really real costly absences mm. for them. Obviously joining... Diaz as well, and you'd probably probably say De Bruyne and Diaz are, are City's two kind of most senior figures, really, yeah. and they're two most important players. Well, I think Diaz How... is on his way back, isn't he? He was on the bench on Wednesday, right? Um, but okay, I don't know. So... I'm not sure. You know, I think I think I'd be very, I think it'd be a very bit bit of tongue in cheek from Pep. I mean, mm. I think they'll both miss the game against Liverpool on Saturday, but I think they'll be back for the week after. I think. I'm not sure how okay. serious they are, but you know what Pep's like with his mind games and, oh, it's terrible, mm. they're, they're going to be out for so long and, you know, they're back next week. Well, yeah, I think the thing is with with um, with City is, obviously, if anyone was kind of best placed to deal with injuries, it would be Manchester City. I mean, they've got the most depth out of probably any team in Europe. Um, but I think it's just that doubt, isn't it, that sets in when you haven't got a player like De Bruyne or even a Walker or a Diaz. These are mm. these are senior figures in the team. I think De Bruyne as well. He just seems to kind of drag the team along with him sometimes. And you need them in those big games, especially in the Champions League as well. Right, we'll move on to now to Liverpool briefly. They obviously got the job done, not barring any drama. Benfica giving a really positive account for themselves and doing themselves a lot of justice. Um, yeah, Darwin Nunes getting a goal. Liverpool leaking goals. I mean, is there much we can talk about with this game? Um, um, do you think Liverpool can be... Well, obviously, they'll be happy. It's just about getting through, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I think that would have been the main objective. And I think there was a bit of experimentation as well from Klopp. I mean, who was the the two? Was it Kanate and Joe Gomez, was it? Mm, yeah. Simicast played Maybe. as well. So you can't, I was going to bring it up earlier, saying Liverpool looking like they're a bit more leaky in defence. And I think there was definitely a case against City on Sunday as well, where they're what they do look a bit more prone to to sort they of do. being hurt on the counter-attack and stuff. And obviously they're still a very good defensive unit, but we can't really judge them on Wednesday because, like you say, it's, it's a much-changed uh, mid-back four. And I don't think, I think Klopp actually said that was the first time they'd played together, that back four, so... You've got to mm. cut them a little bit of slack, but um, yeah, but I do. There is just moments recently where Liverpool it feels like a a little bit of complacency creeps in, and I don't know about you. Do you feel that? I think that's yeah. I know I do. I've been saying it for a while that I don't think the the performances are really catching up the results at the moment. I think they they're grinding results out, but the performances have left a lot to be desired recently. 
Um, I think that's true. They yeah. got complacent last week against Benfica as well. Obviously, they started the tie really well, but Benfica grew into the game. And to be honest, I think Benfica deserve a lot of credit. I think they're a really strong side, a really tricky outfit. And I think Liverpool deserve credit for getting past them, to be honest. I mean, the 6-4 aggregate never looks great, does it? No. I think Klopp would have liked that to be a bit of a lesser scoreline. But these things happen. Um, Darwin Nunes, brilliant finish for his goal. Mm. He's looking like a real talent to keep an eye on. It's yeah. just instinctual. You can see it in his game. Past his Premier League just... audition. <laughs> mm, yeah. Right, well, yeah, so I think yeah, I think Liverpool can be content with that. And it, it definitely is something to keep an eye on. And I think this weekend, who have Liverpool got this weekend? It's City in the Cup semi-final. Oh, of course, yeah, they've got the Cup semi-final, right. So that's another big performance that they'll need to, to bring. Um, yeah, semi-finals, we've obviously got Liverpool versus Villarreal. Liverpool at home in the first leg. Man City versus Real Madrid in the other semi-final with Man City at home in the first leg as well. I'm going Liverpool to win against Villarreal and then I'm going to go... Oh, it's hard to call that Man City-Real Madrid game. Really, really tricky. But I think Man City might do it. Um, I think they could just kind of all, almost go one step further than than Chelsea, really. Um, and you saw the dominance that Chelsea had when they really kind of asserted their authority and pushed up the pitch and played with confidence and I think if City can do that they'll get the job done what are your thoughts? I'm going to go for a Liverpool versus Real Madrid final right yeah well it'd be interesting I think that'd be a, obviously it'd be a, a, the same that final was a few years ago wasn't it? Um, 2018 yeah yeah two very well Liverpool not so much but Real Madrid yeah. very different team since right. then um, yeah, it'd be interesting. I think, yeah, the Champions League's it's delivered again, once again, the greatest competition in football. Right, we're going to finish the episode on a few transfers. We'll briefly go through them. you got yeah. a few for us, Wesley? We've got a few little updates. Obviously, there's been a lot of talk around Lewandowski's future at Bayern. Obviously, he's got a year left on his deal come the summer. And Barcelona have been in contact with him. They've had a meeting with yeah. him, apparently. And right. Barcelona manager Xavi spoke last night after their exit to Frankfurt and basically said Lewandowski to Barca. For sure Lewandowski's a great player, but we have to focus on the rest of the season. I can understand your question, but it's not the right moment to discuss this. Mm. So not really sort of denying anything. There's obviously contacts there and I think it's but Oliver Kahn also came out, obviously Bayern's new director and said Lewandowski is going to be with us next season but we're not really sure because Lewandowski is yeah. only willing to, to stay apparently if he signs a new three year deal and he's 34 right. years old now that would take him to 37 so that's the issue is it that's the issue He Bayern are convinced that he's going to stay but Lewandowski is basically telling them on my terms I want the three year deal this amount of money this bonuses all this Yeah. and obviously that I think they're only sort of willing to maybe give him like a year extension yeah. So ba- right. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because how well he's done and what he's done for that club, you'd think just give him a three-year deal, wouldn't you? Yeah. I mean, even if Lewandowski say drops off the pace a little bit, he's still going to offer something and offer yeah. something in the dressing room. I mean, it's. I suppose the question comes of how much money he's asking for. Is it a ridiculous amount? But also, you wonder: Are Bayern going to be able to pay more than what Barcelona can? I don't know. Like. 
Barcelona, we've heard all these financial issues they've got. Obviously, it seems to have been kind of brushed under the carpet, really. I don't know how they've got out of that situation so quickly. But, yeah, Barcelona crashing out to Frankfurt, that was really poor. I watched a little yeah. bit of that, and they looked really Did you poor, see the, really the, the, the Frankfurt fans, though? They managed no. to sort of um, gate crash. Oh, yes, like, yeah, the, the, yeah. So there was, yeah, there was actually yeah. 40,000 in the new camp were Frankfurt. Incredible. Mm. So at the, yeah. end of the, at the end of the game, they're all there celebrating, clapping the fans, and the whole of the new camp's white. <laughs> yeah, no, I've seen that. And they were all merged together as well, yeah. the Barcelona and the Frankfurt fans. Yeah, and it was strange. Ch- I Champ- think Barcelona are just re- struggling to sell tickets ever since Messi's gone. Yeah, oh, I mean, yeah, it's not surprising, is it? No. But, yeah, so my thoughts on the Lewandowski situation. I mean, if I was going to predict, I'd say he'll stay at, at Bayern Munich. I think it's interesting that I didn't realise that there was an issue between, like, a kind of a difference of opinion around is the length of the contract. I thought it was just Barca, Bayern were just longing it out a little bit because I knew it was all from their side. So he was waiting for an offer from them. But it's interesting because what sometimes when there are these little kind of, yeah, differences in opinion, sometimes they, they don't get sorted out. And I think it's definitely one to keep an eye on this. I think it just like the Salah one as well, I think that's one we all need to keep an eye on because that's another one where you just wonder, is it going to be able to be resolved? Until Liverpool offer a substantial pay rise, it's not going to happen. And they offer him what he wants. And it's similar with Lewandowski. Yeah. Be interesting. And I could see it happening. Yeah, definitely. Um, obviously, a player we spoke about a minute ago, Darwin Nunes. Yeah, a lot of talk about him at the moment. Few clubs interested, and he is going to leave Benfica in the summer. It's just a case of where to. Um, obviously, we saw Chelsea, uh, Manchester United. I think there was even uh, interest from Newcastle in there, PSG. So the race for that one's open. I think I've heard that United and Chelsea are the front runners at the moment, but it's going to be. Well, I think we'll find out more in a few weeks. Obviously, I think yeah. we're hearing that Richarlison has been discussed by Manchester United and with his agent. So, right, so is there anyone you haven't been linked to? <laughs> no, I mean, this is just a case of Man United every summer, isn't it? I think Wesley Schneider. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> but this is it. You just fall victim to the, the kind of your, your notoriety and the amount of clicks you get. And people um, just... like the, It's the how big your fan base is. That every player... Whether you are linked to him, he might have been, Richarlison might have been on a short list five years ago, but they'll still regurgitate the story and just stick in the sentence at the end, oh, Manchester United are in the race for him as well. It's interesting that. Ooh. I think... Bit of breaking news on the pod. Oh, yeah. Sean right. Dyche has been sacked as Burnley manager. No way. He has. Just no through way. from the Athletic, Sean Dyche sacked as Burnley manager. Club have only won four of their Premier League games this season and lost 14 in the last 30. And Dyche has been sacked. What? what? I know, crazy. What on earth? That is literally breaking news on the podcast. Literally I've never, never had news. anything like that. 11 minutes ago. Yeah, they've lost five of the last six top flight games. Four points from safety. That is incredible. Surely there's not a man better placed than and more qualified than him to get Burnley out of that. That will not go down well, that. That won't go down well. Yeah, with the fans, well, with the players. 
who have they got? They must have someone pretty amazing lined up. Wow. I mean, for Daesh, though, I think it's almost a lucky break for him. Yeah. Because he, he, he'll have people after him still. He'll be able to get a Premier League job 100%. If not, he can just go to the Championship and bring someone up. That is incredible. Wow, we were, were just, just talking, talking about, about how, how amazing we're he was. praising he, how much praise he deserves. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Crazy. Wow. What a way to finish that a podcast. What a way to finish a podcast. That is... I, I'm, I'm dumbfounded by that. What do you think? Do you think that's the right decision? Not at all, no. No. I think if if they'd ever... They wouldn't be in this position if they had actually backed him properly over the last few years, you know what I mean? And he's done amazing with what he's had on his exactly on his on his table, the resources he's had. He, the the fact that he's kept them there for seven years now in the Premier League is is yeah. incredible. This is what the Burnley chairman Alan Pace has had to say. Firstly, we would like to place on record our sincere thanks to Sean and his staff for their achievements at the club over the last decade. During his time at Turf Moor, Sean has been a credit both on and off the pitch, respected by players, staff, supporters and the wider football community. However, results this season have been disappointing and while this was an incredibly difficult season with eight crucial games of the campaign remaining, we feel a change is needed to give the squad the best possible chance of retaining its Premier League status. I beg to differ. I really mm. do. And I think a lot of those players will beg to differ as well. And it'll be really interesting kind of the where Burnley go now. I think that's they could live to regret that. It just seems to be a trend, doesn't it, now, with football, with, with in football, in the Premier League. But as soon as it's not going well, and when you notice, they've probably looked and gone, oh, well, there's eight games left there. We'll get a little bounce if we bring a manager in. That's my, that's my only thought. That's what I, I, I can... The only way I can rationalise it. Yeah. Crazy news. Right. Under 23's coach Mark Jackson, assisted by Academy Director Paul Jenkins, and then another under under 23's goalkeeping coach, Connor King, and club captain Ben Mee have been asked to take charge of the team for Sunday's game with West Ham United. Right. Ben Mee. The process of, of the pro- yeah, bring ben it, bringing his suit and tie with him. Or? the process of replacing Sean has begun and further announcements will be made to supporters in due course it's such a strange time to sack someone on a Friday before a game the last the result was on Sunday against uh, Norwich I thought that's crazy Mm. that really crazy I think it will have been this will have been something that would have been discussed um, and he would have been told probably days prior to this I imagine you really hope he, he deserves so much respect Sean Dice Right, anyway, guys, I think we're going to finish the episode there. Um, it's been another really enjoyable episode. Um, you got any more you'd like to add, Westy? No, we're pretty shocked still, to be honest. Yeah, no, I'm shocked. I just can't believe that. Yeah. Um, right, yeah, if you enjoyed the episode, guys, make sure to follow the podcast. Share it with a friend if you know someone else that might enjoy listening to what myself and Westy have to say. We'll see you next week. Um, we should be back next week for an episode. Obviously, we're not doing it um, exactly weekly anymore. We're going to talk. We come back whenever there's a sufficient amount of, yeah. of, of stuff to talk about. Yeah, we're going to go away and digest that news around Daesh. I'd be really interested to see who they bring in. Who's an, is it, you got anyone in your head now that comes to mind that might no come idea. in? 
Maybe yeah. Neil Warnock retired on Wednesday. I mean, maybe he could come out. <laughs> Sam Allardyce, possibly. Sam Allardyce, yeah. Yeah. Maybe. I, I could see that happening. Right, anyway, yeah. Let us know, guys, what you think of the, the Burnley Dyche sacking. We'll be posting about it shortly on the account. You can follow us at Divided Opinion for daily articles, updates, match reports, etc. So, yeah. Thanks for joining us, guys. And we'll speak to you soon.